The development of doctor-patient relationships has never been as important as now. Technology will not replace this important aspect of care. You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals, and I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard. Our guest today is Dr. Richard Colgan, Professor of Family and Community Medicine at the University of Maryland School of Medicine in Baltimore, Maryland. Thank you very much, Dr. Colgan. I've just gotten done reading your very, very excellent book, Advice to the Healer on the Art of Caring. And today I'd like to discuss what prompted you to write this book and for what audience. Yeah, thanks, Dr. Pickard, for asking me. You know, my interest has been for a while in medical history and, and belief in humanistic or patient-centered medicine. I, I practiced family medicine in a community practice for 15 years until 1998 when I joined the University of Maryland School of Medicine's Department of Family and Community Medicine. And I found then, as I do now, that what I really enjoy most are the interactions I've had with my patients, listening to their stories, and seeing where I may fit in to help them get what I think they need. By way of reading about medical history and seeing patients, I've come to appreciate uh, what I think is the art of medicine. And now that I'm teaching medical students and residents at the University of Maryland School of Medicine, I found that I was telling many of the same stories about these extraordinary acts to medical students and residents and decided to put these thoughts down on paper. Well, do you see an absence of role models? In other words, in your book, you describe many famous healers. Do we have role models who exhibit the kind of skills that we'd like our medical students to be seeing. Not at all. I don't think there's an absence. I think they're all around us. I think each listener will surely be able to bring several people to mind as exemplary healers whom they'd like to emulate. As fascinated as I am about some of history's greatest healers, Hippocrates, Razis, Maimonides, Avicenna, Osler, Francis Peabody, Florence Nightingale, just to name a few. I'm also greatly impressed with the examples we see daily in our medical offices or the hospital. You know, the the doctors and nurses who go the extra mile, the the ones who do the right thing even when no one's looking is what really fascinates me. My my physician, for example, always gives me the impression that he has all the time in the world for me. Uh, My wife's physician, uh, she tells me when she comes home how they'll often talk for 15 or 20 minutes longer just about each other's lives. One of the persons I, I talk about in my book is perhaps not very famous, such as Hippocrates or Osler, but her name was Muriel Petioni. And she was a prominent African-American female physician, practiced in Harlem until passing away recently at the age of 97. And I love reading the New York Times obituaries to learn about the lives of people. And in the New York Times obituary, it was noted, and I'm quoting them here, quote, I would give people as much time as they needed. If you had your heart and mind bursting and needed someone to talk to or someone who was a physician, not bleeding in the body, but bleeding in the mind or soul, I would listen. I wasn't brilliant, Muriel Petioni said, but she said, I wasn't the best physician in the world, but I was nice enough to make people feel good. And when I read that, you know, it struck me, I mean, this was, this was a healer. She was, she was a true healer. And I think there's many examples of of healers throughout the ages, too. I'll I'll give you an example. The the Persian physician, Razis, was one of the greatest physicians of the Middle Ages, and he urged for evidence-based medicine even hundreds of years ago. Razis, like Imhotep and Hippocrates, advocated for the power of observation, and so did Florence Nightingale. Sir William Osler also noted that there's no more difficult art to acquire than the art of observation. So these type of reflections by some of these greatest physicians and healers throughout the ages, I think are worthy of bringing forward, of remembering, 
And, and I'm reminded of that, of that adage, you know, those who do not learn from history are bound to repeat it. Let me ask you this, though, in particular. During your career and mine, there's been a shift in medical culture from paternalism to patient autonomy. Has this shift changed how doctors should or do relate to their patients? Is this new dynamic made a difference? I think so, and, I, and not always for the better, too. I'll use myself as an example. I had a basal cell skin cancer removed from my ear, and the surgeon told me there are several ways to deal with the hole. We could sew it from front to back, we could sew it from top to bottom, or we could let it heal by secondary intention and cover it with Vaseline. So I asked this doctor for advice on what to do, and the person replied, well, I can't tell you that. I couldn't believe that a professional colleague would leave me hanging there. And so I pressed further. I said, well, you know, what would you do if it was your ear? And still the doctor wouldn't budge nor give me any direction on what to do. And so, frankly, I, I found this type of care, although it may be viewed as uh, autonomous or, you know, uh, what have you, I, I just I found, it, I found it lacking, to be honest. Hastings Report wrote an article a couple of years ago about has this pendulum of giving the patient the last word on his care really swung too far. And I think you're saying much the same thing. Whether we're a doctor or a patient, we really need direction, and sometimes that is lacking. You mentioned earlier how important it is to observe famous Physicians have said, observe the patient. You see what they're doing. I find this really problematic at the present time as we are all shifting to the e-medical record. I hear over and over again from my friends who are patients or doctors themselves who are patients that they no longer make eye contact with their physician. He sits there, asks some questions, and types away. How do you observe people if what you're doing is having your face in a laptop? question. I wish I, could, I wish I had the answer figured out, because I don't think it really is a, a very good answer. But I'm troubled by this as well, Dr. Pickard. I mean, first, I try to force myself to begin by asking an open-ended question and going out of my way, not to type for at least the first minute of the evaluation. And then I, I make sure that the computer screen is in between me and the patient. So at least when I do type, I can look at the patient frequently. And lastly, before I begin typing, I start, to be honest, by apologizing to the patient, saying something like, you know, I'm sorry I have to type here while you're sitting in front of me, but I, I just want to be sure that I include the important things into your medical record, which will be available to other doctors who care for you throughout our system. So I, I sense that patients like hearing that. I think so. I hope so. But I admit that the electronic health record can come across as being very cold and impersonal. When I think it may be helpful, I, I will turn the screen around to show the patient the results I'm referring to and invite them to see what I'm seeing. All right. I don't know if that really answers the question. I'm, I'm on an ethics committee, and we have dealt with this problem with many people saying to me, look, I, I don't even use it. I talk and then I step out of the room in between patients and begin to type. But I don't know if that's an answer. It's probably similar to what I did before the electronic mental record, staying late and writing my notes. I don't know if that's the answer. But in, in relation to that, looking at admission notes, I see over and over again cut and pasting of previous admission notes. And the richness of the relationship is often lost in this duplication. I, I agree with you. You know, there is no richness because it's, it's just a copy, and we've seen these notes over and over again. You know, I agree. It allows us not to delve as much into the patient's story, and it can tempt us to not ask the patient to tell us about themselves. I have several stories in my book, Advice to the Healer, about fascinating patients I've met who only after getting to know them did I come to discover the most incredible things about their lives. One gentleman had cerebral palsy, and he suffered a life of, of great disability, and it turns out he's referred to me by his parents, 
who I took care of years before in my hometown. And I couldn't get over how courageously he was living his life day by day. Another gentleman had a master's in social work. He spent his life helping others, only to come down with a vocal tardive dyskinesia from antipsychotic therapy. Teenagers who lived nearby him used to throw objects at him. And this gentleman, you know, valiantly, you know, still struggles to survive in an inner city environment. One of my favorite stories is about Joe and his significant other, Ms. Elsie. Joe was a schizophrenic male, hospitalized for decades until he was released in the 70s when Reagan signed a law saying that you could no longer be institutionalized against your will as long as you weren't a threat to others. And Joe was a great lover of books. He was a voracious reader, and yet he only had a seventh grade education. And when I asked Joe, I said, Joe, why did you stop going to school in the seventh grade? And he said, I-, I quit going to school the day my father died so I could help support my mother. And, and Joe's life and uh, the story of what happened to Joe and the relationship he developed with a woman who I describe in the book as well was really just so uplifting. I never would have been able to gain that information if I was to rely on the, the previous medical record, I think. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Reach MD Book Club, and I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and I'm speaking with Dr. Richard Colgan, author of the successful book, Advice to the Healer on the Art of Caring. Another thing that technology has entered into, which I'm sure William Osler never thought would happen, is the need or the request of instant gratification that our patients have as far as knowing results and progress of their diagnostic workup. They are asking you to send results by voicemail, by text, by email, and yet if you do this or try to put them off and ask them to come into the office, They become very aggressive or assertive, I should say, in wanting to know this. And yet this information is being communicated in a very impersonal way. You have no idea of the impact your words are having. You have no way to read them to know whether they're understanding or not. You're not seeing their body language. You're not seeing their face. They also don't have somebody with them who might interpret the results after the meeting. How are you telling medical students or how are your colleagues dealing with this? outside of the exam room can be very frustrating. I had a patient who emailed me a picture of their leg cellulitis, and then the caption was, Doc, what do you think I should do? So I made up my mind there and then, I'm not going to conduct clinical matters over the internet. I'm not saying I won't convey the results of a lipid profile. I do that. But I can't give good medical care by responding to an email such as that. And we've all had examples like this, as I did today, of getting an electronic message. I go into the computer, I get the message, I follow up with a phone call. This person was asking for some type of help. I call them back, and then I got a voice message from their answering machine. So there are many times when I think the electronic health record is extremely helpful. I think to my patients and I, for less urgent things. For example, my ability to comment on a lipid panel is a great example, and I can release that data to them. I can write some comments. My patients can access that information through their electronic health record portal, and, and I, I like this, and I think my patients like this. So I think there's, there's certain you know, venues and certain testing results that are very appropriate for this, but not for an opinion on, gee, what should I do about this current ailment that I'm having? But to your point, I, I frequently will leave a message, as I did twice today, saying your question is, is a clinical concern that sounds like you need immediate attention. Please go to the emergency room if you think you have an emergency or come into our walk-in center now if you think it's urgent. My style is to inform my patients that the electronic health record is not to be used to have a dialogue over an acute clinical problem. I ask my patients to come in to see me. Even though you've touched on something that seems pretty easy, that is a lipid profile, I've been exposed to the anger of a patient who wanted to know their lipid profile. Please leave it on my voicemail. 
I did, and she called me back irate. How did I know her voicemail was not was secure? Who somebody else could be picking up her voicemail? Her husband might be angry that her HDL is now different. So it is not even the simplest questions seem to be fraught with disaster. You know, you touched on storytelling, and it's become such a force in our culture. Do you think we're really using the richness of storytelling with our medical students? Everyone seems to be relying on technology for answers, and so often that story that the patient tells us is really giving us the answer. I mean, you're quoted Osler in, in various ways, and it's been quoted over and over again. Listen to the patient. They're telling you what's wrong with them. This story is so important. Do, are we using it enough? I think Storytelling is sadly not being used as often as it could be. I encourage my students to ask their patients to tell me about yourself. I encourage my students to ask our patients, what's a typical day like for you? Sometimes we're both surprised at the answers we get. Who do you live with? One student taught me a great question, which when seeing a patient who's undergone great strife and stress in their life, this student turned around and asked the patient, what are your sources of hope? And I thought that was a beautiful question. This enabled you to get an idea of this person's source of strength, be it religious or otherwise. I think doctors are natural listeners and storytellers. And you quoted Osler Wright, you, know, you listen to your patient, he's telling you the diagnosis. This is an example of the richness of how to care for the patient can be found if we explore the lives of some of history's greatest healers. Much of what we struggle with today, I think, they were also struggling with in their lifetime. I recommend to my students that they buy the book on doctoring, edited by Richard Reynolds. It used to be a giveaway free book to all of the first-year students here at the University of Maryland School of Medicine, and I suspect at many schools throughout the country, but is no longer. In this book are countless literary examples of exceptional doctoring. Another favorite of mine is uh, William Carlos Williams' Doctor Stories. I love JAMA's A Piece of My Mind and Paul Gross's blog, The Pulse, which you can get electronically. These and other forums are really rich ways that doctors and nurses and other healthcare providers can tell stories about patients whom they've cared for. Yeah, recently a doctor gave me a clue that I'd like to pass on. We hear very often, isn't there something more you can do for mom? And the doctor answers very often, tell me about your mom. And the richness of that story often makes the decision that mom would want very, very clear. Well, Dr. Colgan, I, I really appreciate you meeting with us today, discussing your thought-provoking book. I really like to recommend it. I think of the quote after I read it about physicians and healers, cure sometimes, relieve often, comfort always. Thank you very much, Dr. Colgan, for joining us. This is Dr. Maurice Pickard, and if you've missed any of this discussion, please visit ReachMD dot com slash book club to download this podcast and many others in this series. Thank you for listening.